Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you for your word, Lord. We ask you by your Holy Spirit that you would, Lord, help us to understand it, help us to know how to apply it in our time, in uh, in this time, in our life, Lord. Uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would, would do that, Lord, actually today as we contemplate it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, to begin with a bit of a background to the part of Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church that I'm covering today in this sermon, Paul was writing to a, mat a materially prosperous uh, church in Corinth. The city of Corinth was a Roman colony that had a large port serving the Roman world at the time, and it was a very prosperous trading hub there at the time. And the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this letter to the Corinthian church from Macedonia, a different place, a place that was not prosperous at all, actually a rather poverty-stricken place. But Macedonia was a place that the Holy Spirit had specifically directed the Apostle Paul to evangelize on his second missionary trip when his plans had been to go elsewhere. And Paul obeyed the Holy Spirit and the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea all grew out of that. The churches in Macedonia, they were all from Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia did did not have the resources, as I said, that the Corinthian church had, and yet they proved to be very, very generous communities. In fact, when the church in Macedonia or the churches in Macedonia heard that the church in Corinth was taking up a collection for the struggling church in Jerusalem, which was at the time under both famine and persecution, the Macedonian church quickly got on board with that as well and contributed as well, not wanting to miss out on an opportunity to help them. They were confident of God's blessing and God's provision for themselves, and they gave because of that even beyond their means. Now in the passage that we are going over today, there are at least three lessons for giving. These lessons are summarized uh, well in Haley's Bible Handbook. I'm going to read from there. In these two chapters, we have the most complete instructions in the New Testament about church giving. Though Paul talks about an offering for charity, we assume that the principles stated here should be the guide for churches in taking in the taking of all their offerings, those for self-support as well as those for missionary and benevolent enterprises. Any gift or offering should be one, voluntary, two, proportionate, and three, systematic. It goes on a little later. Paul emphasizes especially that God will abundantly reward those who give liberally. The spirit of brotherly kindness that is thus manifested is called the indescribable, indescribable gift. 
So we should see those three lessons as we go through this today. In his letter, Paul told the Corinthian church how the Macedonian churches responded and he did this to use their example to inspire the Corinthian church. He wrote in chapter 8, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's to the saints in Jerusalem, as I said before. And this, Paul says, not as we expected, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. What Paul was saying here is that even in the midst of their own need and affliction, the churches of Macedonia didn't even consider their own need or even make it known to others, but they joyfully gave liberally without being asked when they heard of the need of the other church. It was Paul who was only now making the need of the church in Macedonia known to this wealthy church in Corinth, but it was not in order to inspire the wealthiest, the wealthier Corinthian church to give to the Macedonian church. No, it was to use the Macedonians giving as an example of giving to inspire the Corinthian church to simply live up to a commitment that they had already made uh, to the hurting church of Jerusalem. Paul showed them that the Macedonian church gave not from their excess, as would be the case uh, in the Corinthian church, but from their need. In other words, their giving actually cost them immensely. You know, they likely, the Macedonian church would likely um, have to make up for their giving even after the fact by, by sacrificing something. Uh, maybe their, their members would, would be working double shifts at their job or, or making do on one less meal a day or giving up perhaps their savings, which represented the, a dream of buying a, a donkey perhaps for their transportation needs or or for an addition to their small houses. But whatever it was, they sacrificed gladly as to the Lord and as his servants, his ministers by the will of God, and they were blessed in doing so. We don't know how they were blessed exactly, as Paul didn't uh, say that specifically. It could have been material, but it was more likely a spiritual blessing because these people were more spiritually minded Christians uh, than the Corinthians were in general, and they valued the spiritual more than the material. So I'm sure 
God did bless them spiritually. Paul did, of course, mention the joy that they had. And joy, of course, is a great blessing. Think about it. What else do you need if you have joy? I want to read again verse 2. Paul writes, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Well, how does that work? How does abundance of joy plus extreme poverty in the midst of affliction, affliction add up to overflowing wealth of generosity? It doesn't usually work that way. Well, that, my friends, is God's economy, not the world's. It's the economy that Jesus spoke about in Luke 6. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Give, he said, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That's not, of course, the economy that we're used to in this world. It's, again, it's God's economy. Uh, it's not the economy that we've learned from this world all our lives. It's the economy of faith in God and faith in his love and his care and in his everlasting kingdom, which is prepared for us in heaven. In our world, we are constantly being bombarded with things that we supposedly need, things which we don't really need. And we're bombarded by the notion that if we don't plan ahead for ourselves, uh, for our retirement or, or, or anything else, we may not have enough to sustain ourselves or our families. And the second part of that may be true for, for the world. So others uh, say, well, it's the government's responsibility. Trust in your government to take care of, of, of you. Really? Well, you know, neither one of those options are really right for Christians if Jesus is truly our Lord. Because if he is our Lord, then he is responsible for us. But with that in mind, we must always plan along with him. And of course, he gives advice. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths, where moth and rust destroy and where these break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And of course, we can, we can add insurance to that as well today. But, um, but with that, Jesus shows um, that eternity, eternity is the real concern, not the here and now. And even for the worldly-minded, planning ahead in this world does not always prove effective as, as the choice of what we 
do with our resources is often taken away from us when, when our minds and bodies begin to wear out and limit us in our old age. So while we still can, we should make our investments count, eternal investments, and invest in the kingdom of God. Of course, many of us who also have uh, kids um, have to consider them as well, but let them see how we invest in God's kingdom and how we trust in God, and they will be far better off than if we would give them millions. Well, the church in Corinth had resources. So, so when they heard of the need, of the great need of the church in Jerusalem, they naturally were the first to give toward that need. And their giving actually inspired the Macedonian churches to give as well. But then the Corinthian church kind of forgot about it. They, they had initially committed to contribute actually more than they had. And somewhere along the line, they got distracted and they didn't follow through. Either that or they decided to withhold some of what they had originally committed because they heard other churches were contributing as well. We don't know why, but, but this is what the Apostle Paul is addressing with them. You see, now the poorer churches in Macedonia were, were actually giving more than the Corinthian church was. And, and the poorer churches, though, as Paul noticed, were being blessed more by God for their generosity. Again, it was likely in a spiritual set, uh, sense, and of course, how much more in heaven. But Paul didn't want the Corinthian church to miss out on that spiritual blessing. Uh, spiritual blessings that they needed so badly. So he reminded them of their original intention, their original commitment. And he told them of the blessings that he was witnessing in the Macedonian churches. And Paul sent Titus with the message, uh, with a message for them to, to give again, to go on giving, to follow through with what they had originally purposed. It was God, after all, who had put uh, that love and that desire into their hearts to give in the first place. So Paul wrote this in um, verse 6. According, accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace, this act of, of giving. But as you excel in everything, Paul says, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness, earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Well, Paul is likely saying the second part of, of that sentence, um, tongue in cheek, um, as he is also addressing uh, this church's misguided pride in the different things that they had taken pride in their faith their their speech and their their so-called knowledge um, and he's challenging them to do better what grace or gift was paul talking about well it was kindness it was the grace of sincere love for others even strangers and Paul goes on, 
I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also uh, love also is genuine. So there, there's that volunteer aspect that Haley was talking about. This was not an order from their spiritual father like the one that we saw last week. Uh, there was an option this time around. Um, this was a strong suggestion that would result, of course, in a blessing. And that was the point that Paul was making. And the principle uh, was that of Christ's example as paul as paul wrote um, for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich so we can see in that example that example of christ um that that um this is what we must do. That example, of course, was referring to the incarnation of Jesus, the divine logos of God voluntarily becoming a helpless and dependent man born, born from the Virgin Mary, even, even to the point that his adoptive father would, would have to take him and his mother and flee with him to Egypt to save his life and to preserve it until the time that Jesus himself could choose to sacrifice himself um, for the world um, that included you and I. And this brings us back to our giving. Giving for any of us, of course, is not the same as Christ's giving of himself. Even if we could and, and would have the grace to give it all, uh, it would never compare to what we've gained from Christ already, even eternal life. And, and, and that's how the Macedonians could even give as gener generously as they had, because they kept their eyes fixed on what Christ had so generously done for them, leaving heaven, coming to earth, and giving his life for them, that they could have eternal life with him after death. And Paul was thrilled to see um, that kind of thing expressed in the Macedonians. And, and he knew that God would definitely bless their socks off for that. In fact, he allowed them um, to give to even to support him. He, they were the only churches that uh, Paul would ever take support from because um, he knew their hearts and he wanted to bless them. He wouldn't take support from any of the other churches thinking that the rich churches might someday hold it over him. He didn't want to give them that, that, um, that um, advantage, that, uh, that boasting because he knew that they were boasting churches, this Corinthian church was, but the, the humble um, Macedonian churches, he was glad to, to bless, so he allowed them to, to, um, to bless him in giving. Well, skipping down to verse 13, Paul continues to encourage the Corinthian church to give to other churches for the sake of equality and fairness in God's kingdom. He wrote, 
in verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And of course that 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 sounds like the Old Testament principle that we read about in Deuteronomy 15 today. That's how God set things up to work. And of course we hear an awful lot about equality these days as as it's part of the socialist agenda, uh, but but as we can see from Deuteronomy and from Paul, equality was a godly and Christian concept first. And A.W. Tozer uh, once said something like this. He said, true Christians out socialists, the socialists. And that's how it should be. But it's also clear to see in this passage and, and in the one that we read from the Old Testament that the burden or workload should be equal as well. In our society today, it often seems like the socialists who talk about equality seldom mean that. And if it's not equality in everything, including workload and responsibility, then it's not equality at all. As I see it, there are generally two types of people in in every society and and it's the ambitious ones and the unambitious when i ran a greenhouse construction company i found those two types of workers were always with me the ambitious the ambitious ones enjoyed working toward a goal and enjoyed seeing things accomplished the unambitious ones could care less about getting things accomplished they they only cared about putting their hours in for a paycheck the ambitious workers, they looked at the work to be done each day and they used their minds and bodies to get it done. The unambitious ones looked at the clock all day and never really put their heads or enter much energy into what they were doing. The ambitious ones who, who set out to accomplish what was expected them each day worked hard and were satisfied at the end of the day. And the unambitious ones who looked at the clock tried to expend the least amount of energy that they could get away with and still get paid. And they never seemed to be satisfied. Days were long for them, but the days were short for the ambitious ones. And when payday came, well, it was done privately, of course, because I rewarded the ambitious ones greatly, while the non-ambitious ones I paid as little as I could get away with. Equality, as I saw it. But the non-ambitious ones would always find out what the ambitious ones were getting paid and cry foul because they worked the same number of hours that the ambitious ones worked. But I was paying according to product productivity um, productivity times their hours, of course, and that was that was something that they, they never seemed to understand, no matter what I said or did. But it is, it's all about equality.
you know, because humanity itself is corrupt and because some people are ambitious while others are not, socialism without God at the center can never work. And countries such as Cuba are prime examples. And a big problem arises uh, when government involvement, even in our own country, begins to hamper the free market system with regulations that go uh, beyond safety and fairness so that ambitious people cannot feasibly feasibly work for themselves if and when they feel that like they are being taken advantage of. So it's all a balance and a ha there has to be equality. But enough for that for, for now and let's get back to the Bible. In verse 16, Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who put the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus, meaning the equal care that God puts in each Christian um, for our Christian brother, brothers and sisters was put specifically in Titus for, for the Corinthian church. It was, it was uh, demonstrated uh, through his care. Um, and, uh, and God cares equally for all his children. God cared for the Corinthian Christians as he did the Jerusalem Christians and the Macedonian Christians. And he cares for Canadian Christians as he does for our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. The question is, how, um, how does our church demonstrate God's love to the other Christian churches that are in need in this world as as, uh, as we see from uh, Paul's letter here. Well, I want to tell you today about an opportunity that, uh, that we may have. The Anglican, or that we do have actually, the Anglican Network in Canada has been working in partnership with the Reformed Episcopal Church uh, with their mission work in Cuba for some time now. The Reformed Episcopal Church planted one congregation of about 15 people in the early 2000s in Cuba, and that one church has now grown to 50 churches and about a thousand people. And over the years, I've listened to presentations about the Cuban church at Synod, which is part of ACNA, just like we are, but I never felt overly compelled to get our church to join in or to go on any of the mission trips that Anik offered. My girls had all taken Spanish in school, so every time I would hear about it, I would, uh, about the missions in uh, Cuba, I'd encourage them to get involved, but none of them ever did. So finally, I let it go myself. And then last month at one of our Anik clergy Zoom meetings, one of the priests who is most involved with the mission in Cuba made a presentation and asked Anak churches if they would be willing to partner with these Cuban churches uh, who are in great need at this time. At the time of that presentation, I just happened to be reading through the section of 2 Corinthians that I preached on today, so I couldn't just dismiss his request. I understood what, what God 
what God was saying through the Apostle Paul. God cares for Cuban Christians just as he cares for us Canadian Christians and he wants us to do like the churches that Paul was exhorting there, to bless them and they us with spiritual blessings. Now, we as a church don't have to do that. It's all voluntary. But I think partnering with a church in Cuba at this time when we are being financially blessed would be a very beneficial thing for us to do. It would bring a blessing to our community as well as theirs. Who knows what kind of blessing would follow? Uh, hopefully spiritual ones, spiritual blessings. Well, I went ahead and I contacted uh, that Canadian priest who made the request to see what uh, our helping out would entail. And he listened, he listed three ways that we could help the church in Cuba, um, besides praying, of course. And one way was that we could sponsor a priest for a very low amount, 120 uh, US dollars a month. That's their whole salary for, for a month, by the way. We could do that or Two, we could also we could we could pay for water filtration systems that they need so desperately there, either for individual homes or for a whole community, if we wanted to think that big. And three, we could go on mission trips there and and be in contact with them and and bring things that they need when we go there, like uh, medicine and other things. Well, my contact uh, in Canada also put me in touch with one of the local priests there in, in Cuba who needs a sponsor. And I've been in contact with that person weekly since that time. And like the Macedonians, he never speaks of his needs or his church's needs. So I, I had to actually begin familiarizing myself with 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 Cuba and their and their needs last month and I did so through various documentaries and I was surprised to find out just how dire the situation is there the infrastructure of Cuba is atrocious uh, people have access to power and water now in the cities for for only a few hours a day and some homes in the country don't even have power. Half the water that's pumped leaks out of the decayed pipelines uh, before it even gets to uh, the various homes and buildings uh, when it's turned on. And the water is pumped and, and stored in open drums that are on roofs of buildings. If you look at the um, look across the cities. You can see these these drums sitting on the roofs of the bu buildings. Many of them opened and they get infested with mosquito larvae that are carrying uh, disease. And the government, all they do is they, they hand out actually bags of little fish to put in these drums to eat the mosquito larvae. That's uh, that's how bad it is, and you know, and and I saw documentaries. People uh, bread is rationed uh, there, and and man, I didn't I didn't know that that was happening just uh, 
you know, just here in the Caribbean, uh, in Cuba. And now COVID-19, of course, is, is spreading like wildfire down there. There's, uh, there's all kinds of problems in Cuba. It's no wonder that the people are protesting now. And, and we know that Cuba is a relatively safe uh, country and it's very easy for Canadians to visit in, in a normal year. In a normal year, more than a million Canadian tourists go there. And our tourist dollars um, in a normal year uh, used to help them out quite a bit. But of course, this is no normal year and Cuba has been hit very hard. And we have brothers and sisters down there that that need our help and and can really use our help as they continue to share Christ as the answer. Well, Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church was this. He said, prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. In other words, make a plan and raise funds for your church's giving over time for the, for the, the project that you had um, plan uh thought about before keeping uh with what you had promised so of course you know of course our church in the case of cuba has never promised anything but planning would come into the picture if we would like to give as a church and help at least one of these uh cuban churches and it's it's not to plan small because we'll get there quicker it's it's uh it's really planning with god in mind with god in the picture what he wants us to do and i think we should as a community pray about this opportunity paul wrote the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So that's, that's how it works. And, and that is what the Holy Spirit is, I believe, telling our church to do in this time. Let's pray about it, shall we? Lord God, we do thank you for the principles we, we learn from your word, Lord. And Lord, as you speak to our hearts, help, help us to be obedient and willing. Lord, help us to remember the poor and and to remember them 
both in in prayer and in our giving and we know lord that your blessing will will bless them and bless us back lord as we as we do give and we just pray that you would guide our church guide, guide our mission board and where wherever we give and we thank you so much for abundantly blessing us as you have this year in jesus name we pray amen